Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Today we're going to continue our series on wisdom, and I I hope to wrap it up this week. We've kind of been in an extended series on wisdom, and I don't know how it's impacted you, but for me, it's changed how I read the Bible, it's changed how I live, it's changed how I pray. More and more, I'm praying for God's wisdom in every decision, even the small ones of my life. I'm seeing how much of the Bible is about supernatural wisdom, and I want you to know God wants you to have wisdom. It's God's desire that you become wise in your mind and your circumstances. I thank God that he is a God of rescue. And the reality is many of us were shipwrecked in our lives and God came and he rescued us. But I don't know about you, but I don't want to continually get shipwrecked over and over, hitting the sands, hitting the bar, getting the waves crashing over me and constantly needing God to throw a life vest to me. I want to learn how to become a good sailor so I don't constantly sink my ship. That's wisdom. Wisdom is preventative grace. Wisdom gives you direction. Wisdom gives you ability. Wisdom uh, allows you to charter the direction your life so that there can be blessing. Today, I want to continue our conversation on the ingredients of wisdom. What makes up wisdom, the ingredients of wisdom. James gives us these ingredients. In James chapter 3, verse 17, he says this, but the wisdom from above, here they are, is first pure. It's then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. These are the ingredients of wisdom. Psalm says in Psalm 34, verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, I love the oh. Oh, you know when you eat something good. Oh, oh, mm. is this hand-shucked corn? Oh, taste and see. That the Lord is good. Turn to your neighbor and say, blessed. blessed. You need more emphasis on that. Blessed, blessed is the one who comes under his covering, who finds refuge in him, who allows him to direct his life. Let's pray. Lord, right now, we thank you that you have given us the ingredients, the way towards wisdom. God, we know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, so we come to you, Lord God, to learn your ways. And God, we thank you that you have invited us into into this experience that we can live a different sort of life, have different sorts of results, and have your hand of blessing on us. So I pray right now, even as I speak, may our hearts be open, God, and that the only spirit that delivers your word is your Holy Spirit. The only spirit active in this place is your Holy Spirit. We receive right now in the name of Jesus. Everyone said? Everyone said? Amen. Amen. I don't know how many of you in here are chefs, cooks, have the gift to prepare an amazing meal. I do not have that gift. But I do know coffee, right? So I'm going to speak to what I know, because I know coffee. 
And you know what matters when you're making a meal? You know what matters when you're making a good cup of coffee? The ingredients matter the most. Good ingredients make a great meal. Good ingredients make a good cup of coffee. I, I want, you know, I'm down to the level where what type of water I use for the ice matters to me. I'm, I have like a friendship with the cow that I get my milk from. <laughs> we, I care so desperately, so much about my, I've had two cups of coffee today, I'm ready for a third. I might be a little jittery when I'm preaching, I'm just trying to live out the word. <laughs> you know, next week we get brand new coffee beans. We've tried them all, me and my wife, we've landed on the best. Brand new coffee beans for Coffee Commission. Shameless plug. Good ingredients make a great meal. And if you've ever prepared a great meal or a great cup of coffee or, or, or something that's worth consuming, you know that, that the, the, the ingredients matter. But more than that, the order matters. What goes first will interact what with what comes in later. The order of the ingredients matters. And the timing of the ingredients matters. Wait too long, it will get burnt. Go too uh, short, it won't congeal correctly. I don't know what we're cooking, but <laughs> the order matters. The timing matters. And of course, the quality matters. The freshness matters. The health matters. What you're cooking with matters. You know, like, like if you're cooking with spam, it doesn't matter what you do. You're, you need better ingredients than that. <laughs> High fructose corn syrup's not going to get you very far towards a great meal. These things matter. And the order that they're presented in, they matter so that you get a great meal. But you would know as you go through this process of preparation, of preparing something, if you want to get it right, you taste along the way. You taste along the way. And if you're unsure of what you're cooking, you have your kid taste. <laughs> have your husband taste. Have someone else taste. Good? Good? You have a taste test to see, am I on track? Is this working correctly? Is this headed in the right direction? Am I missing an ingredient? Do I have a little less of one? Should I add a little more of one? Because I want the end result to be good, to be whole, to be healthy, to be um, um, a great experience. Someone said delicious. I'm thankful for the help out here. <laughs> James, when he's speaking about wisdom, he lays it out like ingredients. That's why I love that verse, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I want you to know, it, it's, it, God invites you into the experience. He invites you into the process. And James, it's almost like James, he gives us the recipe. He says, here, right here, is the recipe. Here's the ingredients for wisdom. And, and I'm thankful that James' list is clear. Have you ever gotten handwritten recipes and you're thinking, what, what is that? How much is that? How much millimeters of what should I put in where? James is clear with his ingredients. There's no guesswork needed. And he's saying, are these added into your life? Taste and see. Check along the way that these things are added into your life. Because please hear me, a good life requires the ingredients of wisdom to be active in it. A good life, a healthy mind, a right direction, a, a, a right spirit requires the ingredients of wisdom to be active in your life. And so as I speak today, I want you to consider, are the ingredients that James lists, are they present in the process of your life? Are they present in your decision-making process? 
Are they present in your direction? Are they present in how you speak? Are they present in your faith? James gives us the ingredients of wisdom, and he says, wisdom from above. It's first pure. Last week, I spoke on these first three. First and foremost, the main ingredient is purity. Wisdom is pure. In other words, it's not tainted by everyone else's opinion, not tainted by the world, not tainted with bitterness or hurt or anger, but wisdom, it comes from God, therefore, it's pure, it's holy, it's righteous. And then that begins to breed, it sets the atmosphere for peace. The next ingredient is that wisdom is peaceable. I think sometimes we can't find a spirit of peace, we don't have a peaceable nature because there's no purity in our nature or in our decisions. Where there is impurity, there is mixture. Where there is impurity, there's an open door for the enemy to bring a spirit of confusion or a spirit of depression or a spirit of chaos over you. But when you receive the word of God, it is honey directly from the comb. Not tainted by all of your stuff and everyone else's stuff. Not tainted by the noise. Not tainted by the past. God says, here is my wisdom. The word of wisdom, it's pure. And when that gets on the inside of you, once it cleanses you, we're washed by the water of the word. Once it cleanses you, you begin to get a peaceable spirit on you. In other words, that you're not clouded, angry, frustrated, looking for conflict, finding opportunities to gossip, always looking to see who's better, who's, who's not matching up with, with you or your standard. No, instead, because you're operating in the spirit of purity, here comes peace. Because I can be aligned with God and I can reflect God. And then he adds, and then the next ingredient is gentleness. Wisdom from above, it's pure, it's peaceable, and then it's gentle. Well, now it begins to come out of you. Now, because my mind's not all clouded, and my heart's not all agitated, I can be gentle towards people, gentle in my speech, kind in my delivery. I, I, I don't have to overwhelm people. I don't have to be domineering in my nature. I, I don't have to overpower people, but I can, be, I can be gentle because I'm in line with the Holy Spirit. You with me? Those are the first three ingredients. That's what we spoke about last week, but James doesn't end there. He goes on, and he adds to this pretty powerful ingredient of wisdom. He says, wisdom is open to reason. It's not just pure. It's not just peaceful. It's not just gentle. It's open. It's, it's open to reason. Wisdom is reasonable. It's logical. It makes sense in your mind. It will resonate with your heart. In other words, wisdom from above, it won't strike you off. It won't not agree with your spirit. Wisdom's reasonable. It's able to be communicated with. You know you're acting in wisdom when you are open for communication. Wisdom's open. Come on, let's talk. Let's talk this out. Let's feel our way forward. Wisdom can consider alternative options. Some of you are out already. You're out. I'm out. I know what's right, and I live that way. No, wisdom says, what do you think? What's your perspective? What's your opinion? I, I'm, I'm open. I'm not threatened. You know, one of the great philosophers uh, uh, in Greek times said that, uh, that the, the ability, wisdom is, is the ability to hold a contrary view in your mind without accepting it. I'm able to consider 
I'm able to speak. I'm able to hear different perspectives. Why? Because I have, I have the desire to gain knowledge. Over the desire to be right. I want to learn. I want to improve. I want to increase. Well, well, James is saying, well, then, but you better be open. You better be open to reason. Because people might know something that you don't know. In fact, you can learn something from everyone. Are you open? Have you considered? Have you, have, you, have you allowed someone else's perspective to inform your perspective? And maybe you don't even agree with all of it, but you're able to see things from a different perspective. This is what the wise do. They even re-examine their positions. And you know what they'll do? They'll admit that they were wrong. The culmination of wisdom is change. When's the last time you admitted you were wrong? You're in the house of God now. I just, it just got really hot. Is the AC on or am I preaching fire right now? <laughs> it's hot, right? I saw that up there in the balcony. I'm with you. You think I can't see you in the balcony. I see everything. Wisdom says, I'm sorry. I didn't see it from that perspective. The Holy Spirit spoke to me. I was in worship. I was reading this in my Bible. Pastor preached this on Sunday, and you know what? I need to improve in this area. I need to see things differently in this area. Please hear me. That's not weakness. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. The lack of wisdom is being closed. And you know, we, when we get closed, we, we show it through our body. We'll cross our arms, unable to look the person in the eye. Oh, I just disagree. I don't know what you want from me. I just disagree. I don't, I don't. I don't, uh, I, don't, I don't got anything for you. I don't, I don't even, I, don't, I, just, I just disagree. <laughs> you know what's interesting about, about not being open? It makes you small. It makes you small in your thinking, small with your friends, small in your direction, small. But wisdom brings you on the path that grows brighter and brighter. Brings you from strength to strength. Makes you bigger and bigger because you're open. That doesn't mean you accept everything because you have discernment. But you are open to God challenging you and changing you. And if you do, God will improve your body, your mind, your spirit. This is what God says to Isaiah. God says, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. So this is what God does. God invites you into reason. He will make your mind sharp. He will make your thoughts bright. He will give you new ideas. He will be unafraid to challenge your dumb ideas. No amens. God, God invites you into reason. The world invites you into ideology. The world says, believe like this. Act like this. Get in line. Sit down. Shut up. Or we're going to cancel you. That's ideology. But God says, let's reason together. Come on, let's, let's feel this out. You know, the, the proverb says, uh, like iron sharpens iron, so one brother sharpens another. You make me sharper. I make you sharper. The word of God makes you sharper. The world only invites you into ideology. And my, my issue, my problem that I see in the church is that many Christians are becoming more cultural than Christ-like. And the reason for this is they get committed to ideology. 
over the wisdom in the word of God. They get committed to the ideology of the world. Sexual ideology. Racial ideology. Social ideology. These ideologies do not come from wise people in the spirit of God. And the problem is once you begin to accept those ideologies, they inform your identity. But you, your identity, your name, and your future should not be determined by the ideologies, ideas, and ways of the world. You should be under the authority of Jesus Christ and you receive your identity. You receive your identity from your Savior. Salvation is your covering. God is your creator. And therefore, no one else, nothing else, gets to tell you who you are. Your father gets to tell you who you are. Look at what it says in Galatians chapter 3. It says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is your identity. Nothing else. Submitted under the authority of the one that gave his life for your life. I love the image you have put on Christ. It covers your mind. It covers your body. It covers your words. It covers your spirit. I, I, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And so the life I now live in the flesh, in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. Christ first. Christ overall. Christ foremost. And here's the good thing that follows that. Paul tells us in Corinthians, therefore you have received the mind of Christ. In other words, you can think like Jesus thought. This is life-changing. You can think like Jesus thought. Jesus was the wisest leader to ever live. And you can make decisions like he's made. When you put on Christ, he'll change your mind. He'll change your heart. He'll change your words. He'll change your motivations. He will, he will literally begin to renew. Do not be conformed, Roman 12 says. Do not be conformed. Don't get smaller. Don't get pushed into this one little model to the pattern of this world. Don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you can test and discern the will of God. His good, his perfect, his pure will for you. You can have the mind of Christ. I want that in my life. Do you remember when Jesus was looking at the Pharisees and the Bible says he answered their thoughts? He was so spiritual and supernatural. He knew what they were thinking. He knew their motivation. He says, ah, it's not like that. I want that in my life. That I can even discern the motivations of people and be able to choose wisely about who I'm listening to, who I'm interacting with, and what I believe. Jesus had a brilliant mind. And this promise is for you that you would be able to have the mind of Christ and you will be open to reason, that you will become sharp, decisive, and most importantly, discerning. That you will know right from wrong. 
that you will know good from evil, that you will know moral from immoral. And no matter what the world says about you, you have Christ on, over, and in you. It will change your life. Is this ingredient active in your life? If it's not, submit right there. Bring it to God and say, God, I need for you to give me understanding in this area. The next ingredient that Matthew gives us on the list is he says it's open to reason and it's full of mercy and good fruits. Wisdom is full, note that word, of mercy and good fruits. Forgiveness overflows into fruitfulness. The, wise, the wisest people you know have forgiven a lot, have gotten over a lot, haven't gotten caught, haven't gotten stuck in the little, in resentment, in anger, and justified staying there. But the wise, they got enough mercy for themselves and others, full of mercy. And look, now it begins to overflow into good fruits. You'll produce, you'll create, you'll have the fruits of the Spirit, but it starts with mercy. Jesus says this, he says, give and it will be given unto you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, here's the key, it will be measured back to you. Therefore, be full of mercy, because you're going to need a lot of mercy. You're going to mess things up. You're going to miss the mark. You're not going to get it right. You're going to say things that you regret as you're saying them. You're going to need a lot of mercy. You're going to need mercy from your, from your boss. You're going to need mercy from your spouse. You're going to need mercy from your God. So what the, the, the wise say, God says, so give. Give out mercy, and you will find mercy given back unto you. And I want you to hear me that that mercy that will overflow out of you, that mercy that you'll live under that covering of, it creates the atmosphere for good fruits. The fruits of the Spirit grow in the garden of forgiveness. The fruits of the Spirit grow in the garden of forgiveness. What's, what are the fruits of the Spirit? It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. They grow out of forgiveness. Love will not grow out of hate. Joy will not grow out of bitterness. Peace will not grow out of resentment. You need forgiveness to be active in your life, to set the atmosphere for your life to be fruitful. And if you have not made room for that, if there's some things that are still stuck deep within you, you got to pull that weed out of your life so that God can begin to cultivate good fruits in your life. Blessed are the merciful, Jesus says, for they shall receive mercy. Please hear me. Is that part of wisdom active in your life? If it's not, circle it. That's the missing ingredient so that you can move to the next level into all that God has for you. The wise are open to reason. The wise are full of mercy. The wise have good fruits to show for it. And the wise, James says, are impartial and sincere. Impartial means shows no favoritism. And sincere, which means a genuine love and care. Now, you might think that these two things are opposite each other, but they actually work perfectly together. Impartial means that I'm not going to show favoritism, but I do love you. 
I'm for you, and I'm able to be trusted by you. This in action looks like this. Truth in love. Truth motivated by love. This is a, a little bit deeper, but we're going to dig together. And I, I, think it's, I think it's good that James left, left this for last because I think it's the highest form of wisdom. In fact, in fact, the greatest people you know that have the most wisdom, they've conquered this area of their life. They're, they're impartial and they are sincere. They show no favoritism and yet they love. Wisdom is balanced. It's balanced. And those, those that you know that are older, that have experienced a thing or two, hopefully have cultivated this in their life. I mean, think about it this way. Imagine with me a judge. Let's pretend that he is a good judge. No corruption, no other things going on. It's a good judge. In that judge's courtroom, you would get a fair trial. All of the evidence would be able to be presented. There would be equal time for both sides, that that judge would be open to reason, that there would be purity, there wouldn't be other things going on, backroom deals, but that judge would be open to reason, and when he made a judgment, it would be fair and impartial, impartial and sincere. It's fair, but I care about both people in this situation. That would be a good judge. Now imagine, though, during the lunch break, that that judge gets off the dais, I don't know if that's what it's called, the high place. And he takes off his wig. Apparently, he's a British judge. And he comes down and sits with the prosecutor. Takes out his lunch, starts eating a sandwich, and starts making jokes with them. Showing them memes, showing them YouTube videos, laughing. You don't, you're trying to hear what they're saying. They're kind of joking together. And the judge says, all right, hey, you're doing good. You're doing good. Gets back up, puts the wig back on, puts the robes, and says, okay, let's get on with the trial. Everyone would say, hold on, you're not trustworthy, you're not impartial, you're not sincere towards me. How could I trust your judgment when I just saw favoritism? Wisdom says I'm not going to engage in favoritism, I'm going to love all, but I'm going to be consistent. A wise person stays consistent, doesn't discriminate, and delivers truth in love. And the more people that you lead, the more that this part of wisdom is going to matter. The more people you lead, the, the more your family grows. If you become a boss, if, if, if God promotes you to manage people, the more this part of wisdom is going to matter. Because this is the part that will help you be a wise and impartial leader. And this is the, this is the character that God is as a leader. I want to speak to the fathers of this place impartiality and sincerity with your children, it is necessary because it opens the door to trust. It opens the door to trust. Parents, fathers, you cannot show favoritism in your house. You cannot have a favorite child. You, you, cannot, you cannot weight the measurement towards one or the other. And maybe you love this one because they, they remind you of you, or, or maybe this one's got a talent or ability that's just so shocking, and you think, I invest in them. They're going to take care of my retirement, if you know what I mean. <laughs> or maybe you have a blended home where one of the children came from a, a, a different marriage that you feel maybe they're neglected there, so I'm going to overcompensate. But when you do that and you show partiality, it breaks the trust within the home. It breaks the sacred bond within the home. You cannot show favoritism without it eventually corrupting your relationship. 
And maybe some of you grew up in a home where someone was the favorite, and it ain't you. I'm in charge. We'll see who serves me the most. It's not wisdom. I've even seen where fathers put pressure on their children, really living vicariously through their children. They'll put pressure on their children in which everyone listens more and does exactly what the dad will say. They'll get the favor. They'll get the blessing. But please hear me. What happens there under that pressure, under that partiality, is even if the kid does what the dad wants, it's not motivated out of love. And eventually resentment can grow in the dark. It leads to broken relationships. This is unwise. And this is not who you are called to be. You are called to be wise. You are called to love. You are called to guide. And to do that, you're going to have to withhold some of your opinions. You're going to have to not say some things. You might even have to let your kids make some mistakes so that when they go get off the road and go through all of the off-road, they finally come back to you, and now they're prepared. They're ready for your wise counsel. You've you got to hold back a little bit. I, I, had a, I, had a, I have a friend who is a pastor, and he, he, uh, he has two brothers. They're all sons of a, of a great pastor, built a great church. So this, this pastor had, had three different boys. Two of them became ministers. One of them took over his father's church. And he was speaking to me, and he was saying, you know, I'm in ministry. My brother's in ministry. And he said, and, and, and my dad, he loves us. He's for us. He, 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 he sits on the front row and he says amen, whether it's a good sermon or a bad sermon. The dad is pumped about the kids. He said, but he is as for my brother that's not in ministry as he is for us. He said, our third brother became a pharmacist. And he's a good man. And he has a family, he has a home, you know, and, and, and he serves God. But that's what he felt, how he could help people. He said, just like my dad will be on the front row saying amen on Sunday. He said, during the week... He'll go to the pharmacy and he'll hide back down the aisles just to watch his son fill prescriptions and fulfill his calling. He'll say, hey, hey, good job. You're doing good. That's a wise father. That's a wise father because he amens equally. He withholds favor so that he can be trustworthy. James says this is the kind of Christian that we're supposed to be. In James chapter 2, he says, suppose a rich man comes into the church and a poor man comes into the church. He says, don't tell the rich man, we're glad you're here. You're going to be able to help us. We have the best seat for you. We're we're glad that you're here. You're in a place of honor. So don't don't treat the rich man well and then tell the poor man, "Eh, sit in the back, sit wherever. Just sit by the feet. Treat people equally. Hold the same standard across the board. This is the kind of church I pray that we are. Church that doesn't have favoritism, that doesn't have cliques, that doesn't have little gossip groups, but welcomes everybody in and say, thank God. Because see, what happens is you come under the covering of the blood. So your bank account doesn't matter here. Your socioeconomic status doesn't matter here. What you're wearing doesn't matter here. Rich and poor worship the same God. Whether you're Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter. You're here to worship the same God. This is unity. And so our challenge as Christians would be to keep the same standard towards everyone. To not try and manipulate situations. To not have the mentality of how can they benefit me. When you meet people, 
find out who they are, what they, you know, where they work, what their connections are. You've got to fight that, that little voice in you that says, how can this benefit me? That's ungodly. What is godly is to say, how can I benefit them? How can I be like God towards them? I'm not looking to use their money or their opportunity or their influence or their connections. I want to be used by God to be a blessing to them. This is how the wise will lead their life. This is what Peter realized. This is what Paul realized. This is how Jesus lived. And and, and, in Acts chapter 10, I love how Peter realizes it. He makes this declaration after he sees the Holy Spirit come upon Gentile people. He says, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. That's the God we serve. May we be the church that personifies that and the people that personify that. And everyone said, consider these ingredients in your life. A good life requires the ingredients of wisdom to be active in it. And my question for you today and, and this is not in a place of judgment wherever. We are all missing some of these elements. We, we, are, we, we, we are all, we all have gaps in our character. We all have areas that God is going to work, work in our lives. So, but I would ask you in a, in, a, in a moment of spiritual and self-reflection, are there any of these ingredients where the Holy Spirit has been saying, I want to add this into your life? Is there somewhere that it's missing? Maybe the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you even over the past few months, last week. Maybe he's been showing you opportunities. Maybe you have reactions that are coming out of you. You say, what, what is this from? What, what's happening? It's the Lord putting his finger on something in your life. And he says, I'm, I'm going to help you make a good meal. You're going to taste and see that the Lord is good. But right here, this is what we need to work on. What ingredients is missing, absent, or not active in your life? I'll read it to you one last time as we come to a close. But the wisdom... From above, James says, is first pure. It's peaceable. It's gentle. It's open to reason. It's open to reason. I really feel the Holy Spirit resting on this one. It's not everyone else's fault. It's not everyone else's problem. You're not misunderstood. You shouldn't justify your own foolish actions. You shouldn't be... You shouldn't be... You shouldn't be, I'm trying to figure out a, a, a very nice way to say this. You shouldn't be getting dumber in your decisions. You should be gaining in intelligence. Experience meets truth and births wisdom. You should be gaining in your intelligence. Are you full of mercy? Are you full of good fruits? Wisdom can eventually be seen in your life, as will foolishness. Are you impartial and sincere, loving all, representing Jesus to the best of your ability to all? If these ingredients or one of them aren't active in your life, this is what I want you to do. Maybe even pull it out in your Bible. If you, if, you know, pull it out maybe in your, in your app, but circle it, highlight one of them and say, Lord, this is what I'm going to ask you to work on in my life. Give me opportunity to grow in this area. Lord, make me wise. Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.